Drop it like it's not, like it's got another shot at the clutch. Dave Gray, the top nacho. Can it's my smacho? Head honcho. So grab your rain poncho for a minute. It's Dave's world. We're just living in it. Don't pretend like you don't have any bias. Everybody knows that we're liars. Visualize and starting up with explain, boys and girls, and find out about the operating system of the world. The world. You and your peanut eating finger sounds okay this is looking pretty good so i'm tim may my name's rich this is the design clutch with us today we have explains founder david gray uh dave has a long and storied history uh is probably uh the most i, I don't know if you have a wikipedia page dave but you deserve <laughs> one maybe sure we'll write one after this i don't know if uh, i ever left i i haven't <laughs> i haven't looked to see if that was that was there but uh but in any case dave has been involved in uh business design, visual thinking, consulting, uh, a lot of different uh, aspects of the business world uh, and, and is seen as a thought leader in, in those areas. So we're lucky to have him today. And uh, maybe just to start, uh, tell me, you, you had a time when you were in Seattle, yes? And, and so I want to yes, take you back to, to some of your northwesterly roots. Okay. And, and what, what was your... Uh, what was your, your role there? You were at the Intelligencer, or what, what was going on there? I was at the Seattle Post-Intelligencer, affectionately called the PI. And uh, that's a Hearst, was a Hearst newspaper. I believe it still exists in online form. It's no longer being printed in paper form. Right. And I, yes, I still have many friends there and many happy memories of the years that I spent there. I... Uh, was there what, during when Nirvana came? I was like there for the whole grunge uh, period. <laughs> Great time. Uh, to I be lived Seattle. the lived historical grunge. period. I lived that history. Grunge, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Nirvana. In fact, I was actually mistaken by, for one of the Nirvana drummers by my uh, my the music critic at the <laughs> newspaper, <laughs> who it was very strange because I knew him. And he knew, I thought he knew me, but he saw me in the elevator and said, of my own op office that we both worked in, and he said, what are you doing here? <laughs> I said, what do you mean why I work here? He's like, oh, oh, I thought you were the drummer from Nirvana, which I guess he's pretty, is he tall? I think He's probably tall, he's probably no, about my age. You yeah. don't look anything like Was him. it a drummer? Maybe it's uh, one of the other guys. Oh, yeah. You may There's be, some guy who's about my bassist, height. He was tall. He may yeah. be. I don't he know. is tall. Anyway, I'm not enough of a Nirvana fan, unfortunately, to be able to tell you right. which which guy. But right now, at the time, were you doing? Uh, you were doing more graphic design at the time, or, or were you doing infographics, or what was what was I your was role there? I was doing infographics. I was. Uh, I called myself a visual journalist. I was doing. Um, Visual. I was in infographics, visuals that were complementary to stories, but they in some ways were stories in their own right. You know, mm -hmm. we had uh, at that time we had a one of the major incidents was a floating bridge that sank into the into the lake, Lake Washington, and it was a big uh, controversy. How did this happen? And that so I did the whole. I want to know a word for it. Actually, it was like whole this whole series of visual infographics explaining why a floating bridge is something that you should not store water in <laughs> because it's concrete and the air that's inside of that is part of what keeps it floating. 
<laughs> so you, uh, they, apparently they had the story behind the bridge, and I have lots of this weird trivia in my head because of all these years I spent doing infographics, but you have this, stop me if I'm rambling. No, this no, is no, great. This, this is, is great. great. But the, you know, they had, they were, they were, <laughs> They were worried about pollution, so they were basically taking this floating bridge and they were sand, water blasting all the old concrete off, and they were doing construction work on it. And they, um, the environmentalists of which Seattle has many, were concerned about that stuff going into the lake and hurting the fish. So they decided that they were going to store all that dirty water in the bridge itself, and they had done a calculation about how much water could be stored without it's sinking. Um, and again, human beings being what they were, they had calculated and uh, maybe they were right, but uh, everyone went home for the weekend and they left the hatches open and it rained. <laughs> and um, somebody forgot to close the hatches or like, and anyway, not only the, the dirty water that was stored in the bridge, but the whole you swear on it? You can cuss. All right, yes. the whole fucking bridge, you know, <laughs> is now at the bottom of the lake because uh, so it really wasn't the environmental uh, kind of piece. The goals didn't really get met. And uh, anyway, this is do when you do this kind of storytelling, it's really fascinating because um, it's political. You know, you're talking to people who may or may not be willing to share their answers and are worried about the ramifications. So, I mean, I learned a lot about, you know, I guess you could say it's a kind of investigative journalism that I was doing. And that actually turned out to be a very valuable experience when it came to doing the kind of work that we do at Explain, helping people, you know, figure out how to solve problems. And, and sometimes you're working with people who may even oppose your initiative and you still have to get information out of them and um, you uh, not everybody inside of a company is always in favor of a change mm -hmm. <laughs> but you still need to know you know what the issues are and what the things are so it was kind of um, it's interesting how the skills you learn in one profession like s help you when you start to do other things and you can pull those things back in it's it's interesting it seems like journalism the the that field lends itself pretty well to the design side of what we do, but also to the consulting side. And that was maybe my mm -hmm. next question. So, so after, after being the uh, information design journalist, you, you went more in a consulting direction in your, in your career. Is that right? Or is that... Well, that's, you're, skipping you're skipping a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you, the, if you want to know about the why, yeah. um, I can tell you. Sure. Okay. Well, the why of it was uh, I'm... 28 years old, let's say, something like that. And it's 1990-something, 2, 93. And I'm looking around at the newspaper industry thinking, I'm not going to retire. It's it's not going to last. <laughs> I'm 28 years old. It's not going to last another 50 years for me to retire from this industry. So I started thinking, all right, what what am I going to do? Yeah. What is the future going to be for me? Um you could see the writing on the newsprint. Yeah, I could see the writing on the newsprint. That it, and also, you know, uh, there's something kind of sad about an old newspaper guy. I mean, newspapers are a great place to learn stuff. <laughs> but, you know, like a lot of people started out in newspapers like Hemingway. And 
and, and went off to do awesome things. So newspapers, in some ways, yeah. they're a great place to learn certain disciplines, writing, storytelling, investigating. But, um, you know, as you get older, like your, your choices become more narrow in that world. It's like, okay, you can be maybe a really cool local celebrity columnist. Oh, yes, I'm the Mark. We have a guy in St. Louis, kind of like a Mark Twain kind of guy. His name is Bill McLennan. He's kind of got a mustache, and he's <laughs> like the local columnist guy. And when there's and a beer festival, he comes out. But he's also got wise things to say about things and whatever. And then um, you have the, um, you can become the editor, mm-hmm. which is kind of like, then you're kind of like, and sort of like a general manager. You can go up in that. But the people who do the most interesting things out of a newspaper business are the ones who leave and become something else. Right. <laughs> you know, like you know, some people leave to become politicians. People leave to become writers. Norman Mailer started as a journalist. You know, they, they um, uh, Tom Wolfe. You know, yeah. kind of comes out of a, you know, interesting people. You know, it's a good it's a good place to start. It's good to I have. think. Mm-hmm. Plus, the whole industry was falling apart, right. <laughs> which doesn't help. <laughs> So I thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And that's how I, um, you know, even going back to the floating bridge story, I'm, I'm thinking, wow, my job is to come in after everybody has screwed up and there's a total disaster and unravel it. Well, what if I had done that floating bridge graphic before it actually sank? And it was like about kind of I told the story of don't leave the hatches open because <laughs> if yeah. you leave the hatches, like, could I go upstream from this and actually even help these disasters not happen? Like, what if, if someone, and a lot, it, it occurred to me over and over that, wow, if someone had done this, this infographic that explains everything, if someone had done it earlier, maybe we wouldn't even have a news story to be reporting about. And so that's part of it. Another part of it was um, in the newspaper business, you have these, it's kind of organized by, uh, things that people care about. You have the sports section. Right. That's the sp- something that people, a lot of people care about. You have the food section for people who care about food. You have the uh, metro section, which is about the local stuff. Uh, by the way, the Oregonian is one of the, has always been one of the most respected for uh, visual journalism. It's a great one. It has, has got a great reputation and won a lot of awards. Anyway, the, um, I wanted to work there. I applied there, huh. didn't get a job. But uh, the, the sections, the front page is all the, the best stuff from everything gets on the front page. And that's what the big meeting's about every day. What's going on the front page? What's important enough? <laughs> you know, what got bombed? Or like, should the bombing or should it be the, you know, um, uh, the fact that there's a, a new uh, ship being launched in the harbor? What's bigger? What's the thing that belongs on the front page? Or should it be the teacher strike? You know, you're not, every morning... Like you'd have these conversations uh, be the hmm. kind of like the morning meeting, right? And uh, so, but I found like so I'm a I'm a visual journalist, right? So my whole thing was, um, you know, it's like any artist. You want what is the biggest wall that I can hang my stuff on? So I was always looking for how could I get my <laughs> like visual <laughs> stories on the front of something like front page was awesome, right. but if not front page, then food front page or, you know, and the, what I discovered was the poor 
like this, the poor stepchild in the newspaper world is the business section because they never have anything good to show. It's always like somebody shaking hands with somebody or like a, a picture of the uh, like front of the building with the sign of the company on it and they're trying to make it look interesting. And I'm like, okay, I can, hey, guys. I can put something here. I can make business look, in, I can make it interesting. And so instead of waiting for the someone to come to me with some stupid assignment, I would be like, I'm going to the business people and let's, like, what's going on in business today? And let's try and find a way to really unravel it. And I found the business stuff was fascinating because it's, and I was like, I started thinking, Holy crap! This is where every this is everything that happens every day. This is what everything runs on. This is every and I'm sure I started my own business partly because of this. Because it's like wow, this is like this is like the it's like the operating system of the world. <laughs> like learning this business stuff was like oh wow, and I think part that was part of what caused me to say, hey, I can find a way to combine all the stuff I'm learning about business with the fact that even though newspapers are dying, I'm sure that infographics will live. <laughs> because even though they may not be sitting in newspapers, I know people read infographics. And even though, you know, people are not reading newspapers so much, even though people, you know, uh, I would, when I would talk to people, they're like, oh, I saw that, I, I saw that infographic, I saw that infographic. Um, and so it was kind of like I had this feeling that I didn't know exactly how it was going to happen, but it had this feeling that, yeah, infographics are going to live. Uh, newspapers are going to die, but infographics are going to live. Yeah, well, and that, that's kind of prescient and interesting that you say that because a lot of the people listening to this almost <sighs> – the infographic has become a style almost, <laughs> right? That, 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 you know, what you were well, doing. We can have a whole debate yeah. about what is an infographic. Of course, sure. of course. Yeah. But, but the idea is that at the time. Infographics has become a style. Right, that, yeah, right. That's that, sadly that true. You'll see somebody find a couple of facts on the Internet and then code it with infographic goodness. Mm -hmm. And it looks really pleasing to the eye yeah. but doesn't actually tell you much. And that's what you're right. talking about is, is information with a purpose that helps tell a story or clarifies something yeah. that, was, that was hidden before. Yeah, the the what I mean when I say infographics uh, or perhaps visual journalism or whatever, there's not I don't have a great word for it, but what I mean is that the intelligent and thoughtful, um, you know, investigation, research, and then presentation of information in a way that makes it very easily digestible. I mean, it I can't say that it is not. The inherent in that whole is an art form because it is also in some ways uh, let's say it's um, it's not independent of judgment to do that just like writing a good news story is right. not in, you have stuff that you leave out you have stuff that you put in and it's not objective right I mean newspapers are not objective the news is not objective um, there's a mythology that lives in there that is like you're supposed to try <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, I mean, it was, um, I mean, if you go and you watch Fox News, it's not like they're going to lie most of the time, in the news part anyway. They will tell you facts, truths. Uh, if you go watch Al Jazeera, you're also going to get facts. It's just what facts they choose to talk about, what things they've selected 
are going to be very different. You're going to go to the BBC, you're going to get different selection criteria, you know. And I think, you know, uh, I got real curious about what was happening in the Middle East. And uh, Al Jazeera was really interesting and eye-opening for me because I started watching Al Jazeera thinking, wow, this is, I mean, this is just a story that doesn't get told. And these are stories that don't get told in the Western media. But this is, these are journalists. These are professional journalists doing everything that every professional journalist does. They're noticing different things. <laughs> you know, they're noticing things that, wow, nobody from the BBC is noticing. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because I do want, I mean, if you really want to know what's going on in some place, you really want to hear all the different perspectives and points of view. You do want to, I mean, there are some ethics in journalism and you do, it's important and I think some, uh, and maybe Fox is not the best example, because I think there are some uh, news sources that have eroded their trust, mm-hmm. which is something that you have to earn as a journalist. And I think that that's the thing is you've, you know, people think about media as being objective. It's, it's, not, it's impossible for media to be, to be objective. It's inherent that it's not objective. But what you do want to do, to do is try and be fair. And, you know, tell both sides. That's the thing that happens when you're in a, in a newsroom. You know, it's like, have you told both sides of the story? Have you heard from this other point of view? Have Well, we get, you know, and you hear this a lot. We asked for comment, but they did not return our call. You know, <laughs> well, at least we asked. and that. But that there's a reason they say that is because that they want to at least say that we offered them a chance to respond to this. Now, smart people, people have become smart enough to know yeah, well, what you meant was you had your sniper ready and you're going to clip out anything that I possibly could have said that would have hurt my own cause, and that's what you were going to share. It wasn't like you were necessarily going to fairly represent what I was saying. Uh, and that's what a lot of people who become a little more media savvy, and that's why, because of that, you have this uh, uh, eroding trust in the media. People are not trusting necessarily what they hear anymore because... You know, they've seen too many, like, people get taken down or stories being told uh, kind of unfairly. Like, the New York Times just came out with this big kind of takedown of Amazon. Mm-hmm. Well, what a horrible place to work it is. And then you have all these people who work at, you know, Amazon saying, well, you know, hey, maybe the New York Times has a little bit of an agenda with Amazon, like, you know, because they're a print newspaper. And and, and Jeff and Jeff Bezos just bought the Washington Post. and Who knows? Mm-hmm. Right. But you also have... Um, you know, uh, you have accusations being made against the New York Times more frequently even than ever before that, well, they're, they have an agenda. You know, <laughs> the New York Times is taking down Hillary. What do they have against Hillary? You hear these things more than you used to. You used to hear New York Times is the New York Times. Right. It's, you know, it's one of the most trusted news sources in the world. But even the New York Times has trust issues today. Yeah. So it's, I don't know, I'm... I can geek out on the journalism stuff because I'm really <laughs> interested in it. It's really strange to me that Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post, and I'm kind of like, is that because he wants to influence Washington? Yeah. <laughs> is that because he has policy objectives? Um, or is that, you know, because he sees a business there? Or what is going on there? I don't know. Yeah, and it's interesting to think of that in the context of information design as to when your work is editorializing um, and and whether or not you should have, you know, in, in this visual explanation of what you're trying to get people to see and understand, 
you know, are you? It, 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 do you have an agenda? What is your agenda? What are you trying you're to always to you're always interpreting. You're right. always editorializing, and I think that's part of what people. Uh, you know, some journalists will say that they're not that they're objective, and I think the the there's probably a more sort of postmodern point of view on this. It's like no, you're not. Nobody's objective, but what you can do is you can try and. Uh, if you do have motivations, you can try and put them on the table. Mm-hmm. Disclosure, I own the stock, you know, that kind of thing. Or, and also where you can list your sources and cite your sources. Well, this is what someone said this. Some things are facts, you know. Mm-hmm. So-and-so said this. You know, this is in Hillary's email. <laughs> it's, it's in there. You know, that's a fact. Some things are facts, but most... Um, any time you're trying to synthesize something, you're editing out. And what you edit out is just as important as what's in. And that, that's always interpretation about your judgment about what's important. Mm-hmm. I remember all these newsroom, like, morning meeting uh, debates. And one of the big ones that I remember was um, the one that's like, well, this is what people care about. This is what they want us to tell them about. I don't care what they want us to tell us, tell them about. They should know this, whether they want to hear it or not. You know, it's like so you have this kind of like, well, we know what they should know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's there's debates on these kind of things, and that's if you if you actually ever get to be a fly on the wall in the newsroom conversation like that, you will hear that ninety percent of that discussion is about what is important, you know, and what isn't important. I remember doing a thing called. We had a whole series on urban sprawl. Well, the editor-in-chief didn't like the word sprawl. He said, let's call it growth. Well, we had a big argument about, well, that's not the same. You know, (laughs) growth is not the same thing as sprawl. And, you know, uh, he didn't didn't want to offend. He he thought growth, the the word sprawl, would offend people who lived in the suburbs. It's well, designed hello. to Hello, yeah. yeah. But, you know, but changing the headline to growth. Now, the thing is, he didn't change any of the story, really. The story all said all the same mm-hmm. things, but when you change the headline and the, the main word that's being used throughout the story from sprawl to growth, now, are they both correct? Nobody's lying, right? Why is that a p- subject of intense debate? Because the media is not objective. That's why. Because you have to make these judgments. In order to write a word, you have to agree that it's more important than the other word that you could use to describe the same thing. We all know that sprawl and growth kind of are talking about the same thing, but we also know that they are totally different interpretations of what the thing it means means. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, you know, it's like an interesting... I've been inside the sausage factory watching the news get made, and I think it's, it's like there are so many, like you, you really, if you do have an agenda that you choose not to reveal, it's easy to do that in that in in that kind of a in that kind of an environment. You, you know, um, and I think it's fair that um, when people say that the media skews liberal. I think it's fair because the people who choose to be in a public watchdog role <laughs> tend to skew liberal a- already by definition of wanting to be a journalist. You know, like, you know, um, of course you do have your, uh, you know, Bill O'Reilly's or whoever, uh, 
but that again, that's like that's someone. Uh, Roger Ailes is the guy, I guess, that he he decided that Fox News was going to be the counterweight to the liberal media. He had been a, like a advisor to Reagan. I think he wrote speeches for Ronald Reagan. And he's he had literally a political agenda in starting that um, news program. Hmm. Um, but which is not, but it's not fair to say that other news uh, media do not have at some level sure. political agendas. They wouldn't have, I mean, they have editorial pages. They have editorial cartoons. They have right. a point of view. Yeah, and they do put it out there. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. So I, I want to, I want to. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm yeah. like smashing through all, <laughs> all goodwill from any. Yeah, <laughs> I think you've managed to, yeah, offend just about everybody. That's good. That's good. No, it's 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 great. Um, so I, I wanted to circle back around to where you you saw the business section of the newspaper as the operating system for the world, which is a great uh, analogy yeah. there. But but then how yeah. it, it seems to me that that might have been one of those points where you started to fuse the ideas of businesses are really interesting, and and that the they they haven't they've kind of been given short shrift up to this point in how their their world is been has been visualized yeah the, i mean when i was in that when i was about in my 20s at that time period in my life uh startups were not really uh, the thing that they are today i mean the, the equivalent maybe was to start a band that was like the startup of that you know <laughs> start a band um but um i think that Today, you look around, and there's a lot more recognition of business as a creative act, creative endeavor. Um, I think I discovered that earlier than a lot of people did. Business, you know, I had grown up thinking of business as, you know, men in gray suits getting on trains with suitcases, you know, going into New York. They do their business thing. They get on the train. They come home. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) this was my picture of kind of a gray world. Uh, not really even thinking, what are they, oh, that's a business guy. Some guy, you know, basically it's a guy in a suit, a uh, woman in a suit, people in suits. I didn't even think about what they did, really. I didn't, like, what do they do? I, you know, I don't know, move papers around, they sit in cubes. It was like, I didn't really have, I think probably a lot of people still yeah. feel this way about, they don't know what that means. And yet... Um, then you get into this world and you start, you know, pulling it apart. And like, I remember one thing. Like, okay, um, here's the news story. This is in St. Louis after I moved there. Um, Give a great story about why you moved to St. Louis. Oh too. God. Yeah. I, Just really I quickly. Can it. you summarize it really quickly? We can edit this. Um, so. I was, yeah, you have to tell it. I was trying to. I was trying to navigate my way out of the newspaper business and one of the ideas I had was I could teach visual journalism or art or whatever and uh, I went to a couple of the local universities thinking oh, I can, okay, maybe I could do this in Seattle and um, they were very condescending to me and they were like oh Dave oh, we had 300 applications for the last open position. Yeah, you just don't have the qualifications, you know. <laughs> and then I went to a friend of mine who had a, um, who was in the art, in that world, and he said, oh, Dave, yeah, without a master's degree, you don't even have a chance. And I thought, well, okay, I suppose I could 
I want to teach if I want to teach at a university level, university level, I could go out and get a master's degree. Um, but actually, I think it's a lot easier to just apply for the jobs and just test that assumption. <laughs> like, let me just apply for a bunch of jobs, and then if I don't get one, then maybe I'll go. Because a master's degree, what, $50,000 or, you know, something like that? Anyway, I thought, I'll just try it and see. And they had, there was a, there was this convention of art educators. I must have told you this story. That Someone else told me. Oh, okay. Anyway. <laughs> all right. Well, there was this convention of art educators, and they were, happened, it was all the art schools who hire teachers, universities, you know, uh, all the art departments, they have this convention every year. And if you want a job as a teaching at a university, you can go to the convention and just give them all your resume or whatever. And it happened that it was happening in Seattle that year. So I thought, oh, great, I'm going to go. And I made a little uh, packet, a little envelope. I had uh, copies of all my infographics and, uh, like, just Xeroxes. I used the Seattle Post Intelligence or Xerox machine <laughs> against company policy and, and <laughs> contrarian-ness. Yeah. And I made this thing, and I, um, I, I just took it and I gave it to all the universities and colleges at that convention that were in or near the Seattle area. And Seattle's in Washington State, of course. And I accidentally, one of my applications went into an organization called Washington University School of Art, which I, for some reason I thought it was in Seattle. <laughs> would make sense. It's the state of Washington. Washington yeah, well, yeah. we have the University of Washington. Yeah. And so maybe we have Washington University. Anyway, it turned <laughs> out that was in St. Louis. And by the time I had uh, actually figured out that I had applied for a job in St. Louis, I practically had the job. I was in the interview process. So, uh, yeah, so I, I ended up <laughs> that that was the only job offer that I did get. But it did prove that I didn't need a master's degree but it did prove that I needed to go to the Midwest, that I wasn't going to, I mean, it was, the thing about, and this is probably not a surprise to anyone, but um, more people want to live on the coast than want to live in the middle. <laughs> so it's a little harder if you're in the middle to attract talented people. So I was, you know, that was part of, I wasn't good enough, basically, to, to do it on the coast, so I had to go to the middle. Yeah, that's, but how, I, that's what got me there. I would say that these these uh, hoity-toity people on the coast didn't realize what they were missing out on. Oh and, man, they missed the biggest opportunity. Can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine what Seattle would be today if they had if they kept had, me there? Exactly. Can you imagine what kind of a boom town it would be? Yeah. I mean, I think probably. Housing prices would be at least double what they are now <laughs> if I had stayed. <laughs> what a great boon to the local economy. Uh, Washington University, though, it's no, I mean, it, they actually have a great reputation. That's they're a very, they're good very good school. That's a very good school. Uh, and, yes. and so I'm sure that was kind of a, a, a neat uh, experience to go be a teacher all of a sudden. Like now all yeah. of a sudden I have to turn this stuff oh, yeah. that I've been using to, to publish and, and help people see things from a journalistic perspective to an educative uh, kind, of, kind of role. Yes. So when and how did you decide to turn turn it into a business? The same time I moved to teach. I mean, basically, it was, it was two simultaneous decisions. I'm going to, because, I mean, basically what happened was the job I got offered was uh, a one-year position. And it, there was no guarantee that it was a full-time employment. It wasn't a tenure-track yeah, job. It was sure. a one-year position. And if we like you, we can renew it. 
but only to a maximum of three years, after which you got to find your next job. So it's like kind of like an, a military tour of duty thing. So I had three years to figure it out, and I knew that going in. And in fact, I used that as a kind of a motivational thing for myself to say, okay, um, going in, uh, I'm going to start a, my infographics company at the same time. I took a huge pay cut. I was paying, being paid a third of what I was paid before. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I also had, it was only 20 hours a week. You know, basically a full-time teaching job is about 20 hours a week. <laughs> that's full. That's a full load that people sure. complain about. It's like, that's <laughs> too much work. Um, but the, the nice thing about teaching as a job is that it does l- leave you a lot of liberty with how you spend your time. And so I started my business literally the same day I landed in St. Louis. I started my company, and that was 1993. Oh, wow. And so... What that means is I had a business card the first day, <laughs> and I had a bank account and a sole proprietorship, basically, they call it. Um, so I had registered myself. Um, explain, in fact, before it was a legal entity, it was a legal alias. I don't know if you know about that, but you can, mm-hmm. when you start a company. Do business has something? Well, you're basically making a legal alias, which is a, a, a nick like an alias, like a criminal has as a nickname, mm-hmm. but it's it's a legal name that you can go by as an individual. <laughs> so explain, <laughs> before it was a, incorporated, was a legal alias. It just meant Dave Gray. It was like my <laughs> alias, which is kind of really weird, but it's also part of that stuff that you learn about business that's so fascinating. And this idea of like, what is a, and I guess that's where I was going before when you before you made me tell that how I got to St. Louis story, which is uh, business went from being a very gray and boring thing to me to being one of the most creative things that anyone could do is to start a business because what, it, it, and I, it changed my definition of creativity really from how do I make a beautiful work of art to hang on a wall or even a beautiful infographic to how do I actually create uh, something in the world that can almost like a living being, like it can actually operate and do something. And the fact that, you know, uh, like, you know, I was able, just through kind of some kind of mental trick to create a thing that created money (laughs) and got people jobs. I mean, what's there, how many people, 40 people working at Explain? What would those people be doing if there wasn't a company called Explain? They'd be doing it. Would, it would be a different life. There would be, you know what I mean? It's like, it's just kind of the fact that that could be kind of invented. Yeah. You know, like, and it actually, it's like, that's what I mean by the operating system the world runs on. It's like, mm-hmm. we think of, and even today we're teaching kids, well, you get an education so you can get a job, right? Whereas the thing that I think is so interesting about business is, Actually, you can create a job. You don't have to find a job. You can make a job. A job is just an idea. I mean, you can make a job. Not only that, you can make a company, which actually might be 100 jobs or 10 jobs, and you can have jobs for all your friends. And, you know, like you can actually make uh, jobs. You can create them out of thin air. You can just pull them out of nowhere. And the, the way that you do it is you create something called a business model, a value proposition. You, a value proposition is just simply an offer. You pay me, I mow your lawn. <laughs> that's a business. That's, I mean, that's a real basic, simple version of sure. it, but 
That's creating a job. I mow your lawn. Will you tell your neighbor? Can I put a sign on your lawn saying I mowed your lawn? Sure. I'm really proud of the lawn that I mowed for you. Can I put <laughs> my beautiful. a sign on there? Can I load my phone number so anyone in your neighborhood can see what a beautiful job I did in your lawn? Um, and then, like, fast forward five years, you know, you've got a landscaping company. You've got 16 people all have jobs because you had that idea and you did that thing. I just think it's magical. You know, it's like it's it's easy to take it for granted, but it's uh, it's such a magical, like, uh, it's so empowering right. to think you can do that. That if you're a creative person, you're an artist, you're a creative person, you don't just, you can't, you can go beyond just creating things. You can create a business. You can create you have a, your own business too, right? Right? Mm-hmm. Don't you? Or a couple of, or what? You like? I have ten of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you, and you I, I remember the the yeah. same. Not that this is about me, but I remember that same moment where mm-hmm. it was like, oh wow, this ha, this kind of came out of nowhere, and now it's a thing. Yeah, yeah. And I definitely think of them now as my my babies. They're very much living creatures that I want to take care of and. I think that's imagine if we could transform our education system to teach kids and imagine if kids could have that moment when they're 12 instead of never well some kids have it never right they just they spend their whole life looking what job is where can I get a job you know who will pay me uh, you know, and they're they're basically looking for a job like you're shopping at Walmart. Do I want a job in the sports section, or <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I still make a, my kids go to school, but yeah. I'm not saying. <laughs> I'm not saying. It's, I know. I, I mean, too. even if you look at schools, they're kind of run like prisons. You know, okay. Sure. You know, t- blow the whistle. Next one. Go to the next room. Right. Sit at the desk. Uh, okay. Hour in the yard. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. There's something to that. I mean, it's like the. It's not the kind of it's general. And Portland's probably got way better schools than than St. Louis, but if it's it's not you know when you think about the way that the schools operate, even a lot of the really good better ones, it's not like your kids are learning how they can actually create their lives instead of they're learning how they can be a good uh, fit for this industrial system. Still, even though we're sure. moving beyond that, what kids are learning is okay, we're where can I plug in? Where can I be a good cog mm-hmm. in the machine? Not how can I create a new machine? How can I create the next machine or the biggest, coolest machine or whatever? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's that's fantastic. Um, I I know that we, we we don't have a ton of time, but I'd I'd love to touch on a little bit of uh, your business that you created led you into more businesses to see the inner workings of how yeah. how they run right so so that right. as you were doing your right. own experiment right. your 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 own experiment brought you sort of into the front lines and the and the c suites yeah. of of these large organizations uh, and so maybe you can tell us just a little bit of how and and I think that to a certain extent led you to become a bit of a thought leader in 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 the sort of design visual thinking consulting and uh, business design field like like what's going on there? Yeah, or or if you just well, have any good stories about crazy CEOs. <laughs> well, I think well, what you're making me think of is the like what if 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 you if you if you accept the thesis that you can make, you can create a business. You can create that you can create your life. 
uh, or you can create even other people's lives, that you can create something that's going to in some way change your life and other people's lives, customers, other people that you hire, partners, whatever. Then the next question is, um, how do you create that thing in such a way that you're going to be happy and as opposed to you've made another prison for yourself? <laughs> you know, like, how do you do that in such a way that you have um, both are happy in, with your place in that, but also that you are happy with what it's actually doing to the world? And um, so I thought hard about that as I was starting it. And, like, the, the initial idea behind Explain was, well, I love... Uh, taking complex and potentially confusing and even chaotic uh, things and tr make trying to make them make sense and trying to understand those things. So can I create a company? I love making infographics at the time. Can I create a company that will allow me to do something that I love then other, find a way to do it in a way that other people will pay for it? And um, one of the things that had has been a uh, is a problem with a lot of creative firms is that they create, by the way they create the business, they create a dichotomy in goals. So, um, like, in a lot of creative firms, the, the people in the company, what they're driven by is making the beautiful creative work. And, like, the way that that's measured sometimes is recognition of their peers or rewards, like awards. And what they're selling to their clients is will help you achieve a goal, will help you get to a place. Mm -hmm. And so that can be in conflict when you have something that is a, you think is a beautiful thing that's going to win you an award, but it actually is not getting to the client to where they want to be, right? Um, which is different than the thing we were talking about the other day, about like a quality and being proud of your work. And, sure. and I'm talking about something different where you are, um, you are, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a, uh, you, you, I don't want to feel, I don't feel good about myself if I am using someone else's money to fulfill my own personal creative, like, sure. freedom. Right. I want to do something that's great for them. And I want to, like, even if, um, it's like being the Sherpa helping Sir Edmund Hillary up to the top of uh, Mount Everest. Maybe he gets the credit, but I'm happy that I was there. Helping him get there, not that I was fulfilling my own dream, you know, to get to the mountaintop or whatever. Um, so for me, it was always important, and maybe this is part of the reason you also have your outside uh, projects and things that you do. It was always important that I did reserve some stuff just for me. Mm -hmm. Because the, I was make, making paintings or whatever it was, now it's kind of more like writing books. But when I write a book, that's my book. I mean, that's not a service that I'm providing to anybody, that's my story that I'm telling. And the fact is that when I'm doing that, though, I'm building all these skills and capabilities. And so because I have that place that I'm fulfilling my own creative, uh, personal creative goals, when I am serving someone else, I can focus on them. Like, I'm not going to give you the haircut that I want. I'm going <laughs> to give you the haircut that you want. You know what I mean? Right. So it's very important, I think, to have... Um, uh, well, if you're a creative person, you want to have something you want to it's like you know sometimes you just need a, a place a room that you can go and close the door and do your own thing and there's there's also you know things that you do that you're you're doing out of the goodness of your heart or in order to help other people and there's a joy in 
let's say, giving someone the haircut that you want. That's kind of a joy. <laughs> but there's also the joy in giving them the haircut that they want. There's a joy that, and satisfaction that comes. And you know what? I did a, you know, I built some shelves for Rich's house. And uh, I didn't really, I'm saying. Right. But I've, you know, I, there's a joy that I will have from in, in, like, if I may, if he's really happy and they're beautiful, I'm happy because they're beautiful shelves, mm-hmm. even though I might not want them in my house, but I like them a lot and they're beautiful. And I did it for him. Right. In a way, it's a gift. It's, and when you hire someone, let's say, to kill spiders and they love killing spiders, that's more fun than just the guy who's coming in just spraying the thing, you know? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Someone, I, I'm telling it's totally you. totally creepy, but I, yeah, I totally, well, yeah. there is a guy, your weirdest there is a guy, analogy, yeah. there is a guy, who, I'm, I'm thinking of a real guy. Okay. He came to my house, and boy, he loves to talk about spiders, and he loves to kill them. And he, he is a little creepy, I will say that. He's a little creepy, but I like that this is his life is about killing spiders. I like right. that this is something right. I'm sure he dreams about it, you know. Wow. And I'm like, I'm like, he's he's like spraying under the, the uh, the like the wall corner of the wall, and he's like, I'm like, wow. I mean, I'm asking him questions about the life styles of spiders, and he's like, oh, I've seen it where it's like arachnophobia spray, and they all come swarming out. I'm like, oh, wow, that's a good <laughs> war story. That's like, that's great, um, but. Maybe you don't always want to engage him in the conversation, but it's good to know that this guy lives and breathes this thing. Mm-hmm. And when you need someone to come in, that's the guy you're going to call, right? Because you know he's like... He's the spider guy. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> that's an interesting metaphor for explain as well, just the idea that we, we do this thing, that, that we have this interesting mix of design and consulting that can come in and companies aren't able to do that. They don't have the staff to do that. They don't have the perspective to do uh, a lot of what we do. We kind of love it. (laughs) It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of like there's a, yeah, so we uh, collaboratively, we have sort of done a good job of designing a company that's always got interesting puzzles. I mean, if you you like your job at Explain, you like difficult puzzles. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I think because you're probably the kind of person who does the New York Times, likes New York Times crossword puzzles or other kinds of puzzles and like uh, likes to unravel, likes to take that knot and figure out how to untangle it because that's what we're doing every day. We're, we're, we, we, we seek those difficult, complicated, complex, but fascinating, you know, business problems and we start to unravel them and figure out what's going on and solve them and that's fun. And it's, that's what I mean by creating a company as an organization that's something, a place you really want to live. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So we have sort of created a place where we always have another interesting problem to solve, haven't we? Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. That's kind of a, a good wrapping up thought. Now, um, we do picks. Wrapping up? Well, yeah. as, as, as fun? Well, yeah. Yeah, wrapping. no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there will be some wrapping. Don't worry. That'll be at the beginning, though. We'll edit that in. We'll splice we that in. we wrap this up? <laughs> so, so, so one thing, Dave, I wanted to ask you. So we, we a lot of times, uh, well, the, the other two podcasts we've done so far, uh, there's another one in the works. So we've done three. 
but what are some of things that you might recommend, either books or uh, conferences people should go to or... Stuff you sort of newly discovered that right. you're excited about and you want to tell everyone about. Yeah. A new app, a new sketchbook, a new TV show. It can be anything. Yeah. Liminal what thinking. What are Dave's picks? Um, wow, there's so many things. Um, uh, well, I just came from the Delight Conference and I think that is was as the second year that I've gone, uh, it's here in Portland. It's put on by Connective DX, I believe is the name of the company. Uh, it's, it was just a beautiful, wonderful experience, and uh, so I've newly discovered that. I think it's just awesome. Um, I've kind, I kind of think the food trucks in Portland are pretty awesome. Food carts. Carts. Yeah. You don't call them car- trucks. Because they're not mobile. Okay, the food yeah. carts. <laughs> it's um, a small thing, but if you come to Portland, people will know you're right. But if you come to Portland, it's kind of a thing that I think. <laughs> I mean, Portland food is delicious, and a lot of it is pretty cheap. And uh, I think there's something uh, that's pretty cool. Um, and while we're on the subject, I'm in Portland, so I'm giving you some Portland stuff. So delight <laughs> conference, food carts, and uh, if you do come and visit us, I hope you will visit our office. And uh, say hello, and then there's Powell's books. You got to go there too, because that is like c- probably the crown jewel of Portland, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's natural beauty, but you know you can't not go to Powell's books if you come to Portland. Fantastic. You probably that's nothing new to you guys, is it? No, not really. However, I think having you on this podcast will extend the range of the people who have listened. We may have to move over to better servers so that we can uh, we can accommodate a few more downloads. But um, no, that's fantastic. Anything else, Rich? No, I don't think so. All right. Well, thanks so much. Uh, so Dave Gray is the founder of Explain. Explain is a design consultancy that harnesses the power of design to cultivate a better world. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. Take care. Thanks. Bye.